Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field, here to talk about a Packers victory, Wes, and an impressive one on the defensive side of the ball, a 17 to nothing shutout at Lambeau Field of the Seattle Seahawks. And we've been talking all season long about how this defense, the arrow keeps pointing up, the unit just keeps ascending. And in some ways, you don't know how much further you could have ascended after a really impressive performance, although in a loss in Kansas City against Patrick Mahomes. But this defense topped itself once again. I can't believe that stat I saw afterwards. I wish I could give proper credit to the first person who pointed this out. It is a stat, though, that Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and then having Russell Wilson, three elite Pro Bowl, all-pro type players, and the Packers held those three guys to one passing touchdown uh, <laughs> in those matchups. I mean, it was one of those deals where I know some people at halftime when I made a remark about how this is the first time the Packers have shut out an opponent in the first half dating back to that game against Buffalo in 18, which also ended up being the last shutout. And some right. people were like, don't say anything, you're going to jinx it, yada, yada, yada. I'll tell you what, Mike, this is one of the first times I think I can remember on the beat where I don't think there was any worry of a jinx. I don't think there was any worry of a let-up. The Packers, the way they were playing, the confidence in which they were playing with, the speed and tenacity that they were playing with defensively, they were the best unit on the field once again, not just for the Packers, but either team. And it's been that way now for a number of weeks. And to have the injuries and the losses, and we'll talk about some of that here shortly with the, some of the, the more hits the defense took, they still keep moving forward. And they're ranked third right now in total yards and scoring uh, and really looking like the unit the Packers need them to be to make a championship run. Yeah, absolutely. And it was funny. I was, uh, for those of you who don't, entirely understand our game day process during the game while things are going on Wes is writing what we call the quarter by quarter updates on the website I am doing the live blog as the game gets toward the end and Wes is is writing the fourth quarter update I am getting ready to write a, a topper what we call the the top to your quarter by quarter updates that we can post right when the game ends of the final score and statistics and whatnot. My whole point of t explaining this is that I was following live on GSIS the total yards yeah. for the Seattle Seahawks in the game. On that final desperation drive, they just crossed over 200 yeah. yards. Then Preston Smith gets a 14-yard sack and drops them below 200 yards, and it was looking like it would be a 190-something game but then they get a 16 yard pass on the fourth and forever so they barely get over 200 total yards on the last play of the game and that just that just speaks volumes to what this Packers defense was doing and the crux of it really was what turned this from a solid defensive performance into a great one were the two interceptions in yeah. the second half. It's three to nothing, and Russell Wilson makes an ill-advised third down throw in the red zone to the end zone, and Kevin King gets the interception there. And then when the Seahawks are in a little bit more of a desperation mode at 10 to nothing, he tries to take a deep shot in double coverage to lock it. Adrian Amos gets that interception on the deep ball in the end zone. Those two turnovers really then is what allowed uh, the Packers to stretch this out and take away any drama of what was looking like it could be a down-to-the-wire game when it was just 3 nothing at halftime. Well, and to tell you the strength of this defense, in addition to just the mental fortitude and to be able to, to rally the way they have around each other, 
it's a fact that we talked about in the preseason. They have playmakers at all three levels. And with the installation of Devondre Campbell at inside linebacker, there really isn't a weak spot right now for this defense. And, you know, you look at a guy like Adrian Amos, I just feel like he's the one that sort of really epitomizes this entire unit. He's an unheralded, rather soft-spoken individual that is just so darn consistent. I even think about that pass. Again, it's in garbage time, but they were in that zone concept, the, the prevent defense there. I think it was to lock it. He was trying, Wilson was trying to hit along the sidelines. And Adrian Amos, covering basically half the field, comes over right by the pylon and breaks up a pass that otherwise might have been the touchdown. Uh, not a big play in terms of the grand scheme of things in victory, but that's what kept Seahawks off the board. That's what kept those numbers close to 200 total yards of offense. Yeah. Him and, and the talent of Darnell Savage on the back end, the way the umbrella of that thing, uh, th- that's been a big linchpin here for this defense. But even before that, you know, I-, I made this comment in inbox, Mike. I don't know what you thought about it, but Preston Smith gets that 16-yard sack, I think it was. It was this huge. 14 y- yards. 14 yards yeah. late in the game. I understand that that's a garbage time type sack, but the way Preston Smith played that entire type yeah. of that game, yeah. he really didn't ha- have the statistics to really show the impact that he had made, the pressure that he had generated, some of the other plays that he helped create. That's the thing about this year's defense. There's not going to be a lot of guys where you look at the, the cornerbacks and be like, okay, who's the stud right now? It's not going to be a lot of, okay, where's the all pro? It's just 11 guys when they're on the field playing as one and it has the Packers with you know their best defense right now statistically in a decade. Yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, I made a point of this in Insider Inbox as well. When you talk about the sort of those steady influences, the understated, you know, not the rah-rah guys, but, but the leaders on this team, two of the defensive captains here are Adrian Amos and Kenny Clark. Yeah. And you won't find two guys who – at the same time can be so valuable to what their unit is doing, but in a lot of ways get so little recognition for it. And they also don't really care necessarily about getting that recognition. And I think that that says a lot about them. And and as as I said in Inbox, that's not to take anything away from the larger personalities like a Zadarius Smith or Jair Alexander, who's also been, they've also been captains uh, on this defense. And I'm not trying to, to disparage their way of going about things at all. But with those two guys in particular, Amos and Clark, both being captains on this particular defense, and the way these guys are, are, are going about things um, really stands out to me. This team now, Wes, for the season, 18 points per game allowed, which, as you said, I think is third yeah, in, in the league so. now. Since week one, the 38-3 to loss to New Orleans, since week one, it's 15.8 points per game. Yeah. That's just remarkable what, uh, um, what this group is doing. And now they will have – some additional challenges. You just mentioned the type of game Preston Smith had and, and then capping it off with a sack to get something big in the statistical column. Well, the pass rush here, Whitney Merciless, it looks like a, a very significant injury to his biceps. And then uh, Rashawn Gary also leaving the game with an elbow injury. There's still some evaluation going on there. We'll see what uh, what ultimately the deal is with Gary's injury. But this pass rush is going to be relying even more on Preston Smith than it already has here going forward. Yeah, and Jonathan Garvin too. You know, the second rounder, or excuse me, the second year player was a seventh rounder last year. Yeah, and a young man that is still only 22 years old and has had to really grow up uh, quickly in this defense after being a healthy scratch for half the season last year. He's suddenly been thrust in a rotational role. 
that's the way this thing has gone. What hurts the most about – there's a couple reasons that Merciless injury hurts. That game, especially with some of the injuries they were dealing with on the defensive line, that game was the first time, Mike, that you and I have seen in maybe over a month, maybe two months, where the Packers started running their dime with three def- uh, outside linebackers again. Yeah. They were using Preston Smith. They were using Rashawn Gary as down three-tech linemen or using Gary as a rover. They got away from that because they just didn't have the bodies for it. But Merciless, the way he was playing, enabled them to get back in those packages. It sounds and, and Merciless had lined up inside yes. on uh, on an occasion as well. A lot of versatility there, and that was sort of that spot they were missing without Zadarius Smith. That right. was a role that he had played right. before his back injury. And the thing that hurts the most is I felt like, and I tweeted this as I was leaving the building on Monday, Merciless really felt like that Eric Walden signing for this defense. He felt like it was, okay, you need help at outside rusher. Here's a guy that can, can bring something. And he seemed like he was a really steady locker room guy. We only got to talk to him once, but obviously you, you hear what people say about him down in Houston. He's a, you know admirable you know, type of locker room dude. And for that injury, and as soon as you and I saw it, Mike, and when you yeah. see him curled up like that, and then you understand it's the biceps, we've seen enough of those type of injuries, your, your, your stomach kind of drops a little bit. Yep. The hope would be, based on the reports we've seen so far, is that the Packers might have avoided a big injury with Rashawn Gary. Got to see how all that shuffles out yet. But the fact is, is that Gary has been such an integral part of this defense. He's leading them in sacks right now this season. He's gotten the uptick in playing time, and he's really responded with those snaps. The Packers need him, and, you know, knock on wood, at some point, maybe in the next two months, Zadarius Smith is back in the fold too. Yeah, we'll have to see uh, how that goes. Rashawn Gary with five and a half sacks, Correct. I believe, on the season it's now, which is, uh, which is tops on the team. So before we shift gears to the offense, Wes, some sponsor business, Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7. 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, offensively, the Packers did indeed get quarterback Aaron Rodgers back off of the COVID list, and he played despite not having essentially practiced for the previous two weeks. Um, And Give some credit to Seattle's defense. That's uh, that's no slouch of a unit, especially when it comes to uh, to what that group does in the red zone. But the Packers were having some trouble finding their footing on offense. A missed field goal early that took some points off the board. But this offense, as we had talked about last week, it went through the running backs. Yeah. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon combining for more than 200 rushing and receiving yards, adding up those yards from scrimmage. But now things could shift uh, uh, in, at least for the next game or two, most likely, are going to shift even more heavily to A.J. Dillon because Aaron Jones is now out with a knee injury, though it sounds like it's only going to be a short absence. Yeah, and that's, you know, as Matt LaFleur even said on Monday, you know, the hope is they avoided, you know, kind of a, you know, a bullet there. Aaron Jones, you saw it. I understand his rushing yards, where they're at right now, but in terms of the pass catching, you saw it with those two catches he had over the span of three plays, both of them over 20-yard explosives. The way he can energize this offense yep. with his play style, what he can create when he's in space, it's incredible. A.J. Dillon, for a guy who was kind of maligned a little bit as a pass catcher coming out of Boston College, and I think a lot of that was just due to the fact he didn't really do it in this, their system. What a revelation this guy has been. I mean, that 50-yarder, 
the reason that was so impressive, it wasn't like he had to make, he's made better catches over the course of the year, but to throw an underneath pass to a running back and have that running back turn it into a 50-yard gain down the <laughs> sideline, uh, making three guys miss or breaking their tackles, breaking their will, uh, th- that was a huge play. You saw yeah. how amped up Devontae Adams got after it, giving the big shove to him after the play. This young guy's come a long way, and the Packers knew that this was going to be a part of his maturation process. When you lose Jamal Williams, someone that was as steady as they go at the running back position, they knew they were going to need A.J. Dillon to step up. It wasn't going to be 25 carries a game with Aaron Jones, and I think he's done that in an exceptional way. And also give credit to Aaron Rodgers, too. I mean, it was his first game back. You know, as Matt LaFleur pointed out, he hadn't really practiced at all in two weeks, not only because of the COVID week, but then also the week before that, they were on the short, you know, schedule going up against Arizona. So they really never even practiced. It was just all walkthrough type stuff. So Rodgers managed the situation. And when they needed big explosive plays down the stretch, as Rodgers said, all three of them were compliments and courtesy of A.J. Dillon. Yeah, absolutely. What I liked, what I liked best about this game, and I mentioned this also in Inbox, because whether you're talking about the score being three to nothing after three quarters, or the score being twenty-seven to twenty-four after yeah. three quarters, what I liked about this game is when your offense can put together two drives and score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and your defense doesn't give in and gets a second turnover and simply doesn't uh, allow the opponent to ever generate any kind of momentum, whatever the score is after three quarters, you play like that in the fourth quarter on both sides of the ball, you're going to win a lot of yeah. football games in this league. And that's something as much as, as much as the, those first three quarters offensively, it was, it was frustrating. The Packers had some opportunities to score mistakes were made. Things didn't go their way. They finished this game the way you want to finish any football game, regardless of what the score is going into the fourth quarter. And I think that bodes well here as we're starting to hit, you know, getting closer and closer to what we could call the home stretch with Thanksgiving and the Packers bye week now just around the corner. Well, and, you know, and and OBJ made his decision, right? He went to the Los Angeles Rams. It is what it is. There isn't going to be this big, you know, type of hero coming over the mountain that's going to just add even more plays to this offense. The Packers, if they're going to get where they want to offensively, it needs to be the young guys. It needs to be guys stepping up. A.J. Dillon's been a big part of that. I think he's probably been the most improved player, I think would be easy for everyone to say in his second year here with this offense. And with Aaron Jones being gone here for a minute, this is going to be a big test for him. Not only against you know, this upcoming opponent in Minnesota with all the challenges that Mike Zimmer defense presents, but also historically one of the best defenses in the league and the Los Angeles Rams over the last three, four years, they're going to have to battle as well. So I think the exciting aspect of this is you do hope you're getting Aaron Jones back. And obviously you hope that, you know, that's going to happen in December when you really want to get the run game going. But this is the trial by fire that I think A.J. Dillon really needs and see if, okay, can this guy be the every down back we need him to be? Because with all due respect to Patrick Taylor, that was his first NFL carries on Sunday. Yeah, so yeah, he got the ball twice there in the in the fourth quarter, giving Dylan a little bit of a break. Yeah, you want to get the you know more backs involved, but realistically, this is going to be a one back offense. You would think for a couple weeks here. Yeah, absolutely. the the one one thing that will be interesting to see to me, sort of one of those littler th- things that that people can forget about is that 
with Aaron Jones being out and A.J. Dillon now taking the, the lion's share of the snaps at running back, that pass protection in the backfield, I'm not saying that A.J. Dillon isn't any good at it. That's not my point. Aaron Jones has become exceptional, exceptional. as a pass-blocking, pass-protecting running back with the blitz pickups and the communication and everything like that. That's, uh, that's something that, uh, that will be be worth watching here with A.J. Dillon because that's going to be an, another area where as big a strides as we've seen him make in year two, he can take even more strides in that area because we saw what Aaron Jones has done over the first you know three, four years of his career to get to where he is now. Big picture in the NFC. Well, first with regard to the division, the Packers stay three and a half games ahead of the Minnesota Vikings, and we'll talk more about the Vikings on our next show with, yeah. uh, with the trip to Minneapolis coming up here next weekend. But as far as the top of the NFC, the Packers are right back there suddenly, Wes. One week after losing a game, losing your quarterback and losing a game and all of that, Green Bay is 8-2. and two. Arizona takes its second loss, not having its quarterback against Carolina. Cardinals and Packers both 8-2. and two. Packers obviously have the head-to-head there. Dallas a half game back at 7-2. and two. The Rams took their third loss of the season on Monday Night Football. They lose on the road at San Francisco in a division game out west. The Rams are 7-3. and three, And suddenly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 6-3, and three, having lost two games on either side yeah. of their bye week. They lose to New Orleans going into the bye. They come out of their bye and lose at Washington. So um, it's all right out there for Green Bay right now. The, the, loss at, the loss at Kansas City, we talked about it, you know, in some respects it was a missed opportunity considering all those results, the other results that had happened um, last week. Well, the Packers got some more results in their favor this yep. week, and they got the win over the Seahawks, and, uh, and, and they vaulted themselves right back up where they want to be. These 17 games are not about who is the best team in the NFL. It's about who's the most consistent team, who's going to be the one that earns that first-round bye, who's going to be the team that proves that we deserve to be uh, considered the upper echelon entering the playoffs. And the way I look at it right now, Mike, is the Packers got four more division games, both of which against the, the Minnesota Vikings. They still have yet to play this season. Right. You win those. You, you, you run that table, and then you kind of let those other chips fall where they may with the, the remainder of your non-conference stuff, and then also this matchup coming up against the Rams. That puts you in the dance. And these next couple of weeks, the Packers take care of business against the Vikings. Again, a team that we're going to talk about scares the living daylights out of me. Yeah. A team that cannot be overlooked. A team that has been in every single one of the nine games it's played so far. A team that is a team that is four and five and is just a whisker here or there away from potentially being seven and two. But it's realistically. Con- but it's consistency. Yeah. And the Green Bay Packers at eight and two have been an incredibly consistent football team, despite the injuries, despite the potential distractions, despite all that. And it has put them in a position now to, to be able to really claim the top of this conference. It's going to be a really exciting final seven games of the season. And obviously it starts on Sunday against the, the Vikings in U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, the Packers will have an opportunity to go four and a half up on the Vikings with only six to play. That would be considered the catbird seat if I'm yeah. allowed to, to use the old uh, cliche. But we'll talk more about that on our next show. For now, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. We've got stuff for you every single day on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.